jump, 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 three, four, right now. Da 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 da, kick, kick, five, six, right now. Da 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 da, punch, punch, seven, eight, right now. Mugen no chikara, nari to makoto no chikara to wazari. This is Rider Jump, a show where we can and will discuss everything tangentially related to Common Rider and Tokusatsu. I'm your host, Amit, and... I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. And uh, these two have showed up this week to discuss bad timelines and poorly constructed histories in Common Rider. Of which there are many. Always a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I just want to give a shout out to Black for having like a decently constructed history, because it's a long time ago. Um, Long, long ago. And that kind of works. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, there's credit for the writers of Kamen Rider Black, of which there are like 20, if you look at it. So I'd like to know who was behind the concept of it. I guess Ishinomori, huh? Anyway, uh, I'm a little embarrassed by my ignorance there, so I'll just move on. Uh, so this topic <clears throat> came out of a question regarding Drive's timeline from episodes 27 to 28, but um, Drive Secret Mission Type SCU uh, Episode 1, how the special crimes unit, uh, or how was the special crime units assembled, uh, also has these issues. It makes things even more complicated as far as Drive's timeline goes. I won't say how specifically for anybody who hasn't watched it and doesn't have the time or inclination to watch it anytime uh, soon. Um, I don't have time for anything. Okay. okay. But yeah, it, it makes things even worse. Oh, naturally. I, I mean, um, why, why would, why be straightforward <laughs> when you can just be needlessly obfuscatory at all at all turns? Just <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Like, um, and I don't want to harp on Drive and Sanjo anymore regarding this point. Are you um, sure? In defense, yeah, Sanjo he hasn't written the last handful of episodes. This is the last true. handful of this episodes were Hasegawa, and me and Hasegawa are going to have to have some words. <laughs> Although, interesting, I noticed that your favorite arc from Forze, which I won't name right now because I want to save that for later, is written by Hasegawa. That's because Hasegawa can do really good stuff! He yeah, as we just discussed in the last episode. It's really weird. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to shut up and stop like introducing the topic and just... Give the prompt. So here we go. Uh, I suppose the thesis here is why do so many uh, shows do the long, complex history and start in the middle or uh, some part way through the story? Um, since so many writers seem to have a hard time doing that properly. Uh, specifically, I'm referring to Double O's, Forze, Wizard, Fives, Ryuki, and Kiva, and that's mostly from my firsthand experience, and then a little bit from just stuff I've heard on line. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to drop Deno in on the end of this list, uh, hoping that one of you two or someone listening to this can answer some questions that I have, because I have questions about Deno. I, I do my best. I, I, I promise I nothing. So. I promise <laughs> nothing. Because to to do the short answer to your question there, Amit, um, most of these things do long, complicated histories, because... It's easy to start with a complicated history. It is hard to wrap that mess up. And all oh. of these writers, they're very ambitious people. And that's, that is to be praised and acknowledged. But boy, there's a big difference between ambition and pulling it off. Even, and I know I'm saying this about series that I like. 
Y- you know who you know that's, who can do it? Point. Aikawa. Who? <laughs> you know, the, just, the eternal just refrain. Just putting that one out there. <laughs> that's just good. Put Kendrin Blade out there, and uh, he did it. That's so exciting to know. Um, alright, so, let's see. Okay, so starting with Double, uh, it does okay with starting the middle of things, I feel, but it really leaves so much dissatisfaction after finishing the show. Um, like, for example, why is there no Kamen Rider Bomb? Uh, which, that's, like, Sona will have to yeah. introduce that if you don't remember or haven't heard of that. Um, and, like, why not a lead female cast, which Sona's also talked about extensively before? And just my complaint about it is that things were pretty much left very vague at the end of the show. Even. Um... You've opened the can of worms here uh, with Kamen Rider Bomb. Uh, for people who haven't seen Double may have missed uh, that specific point because uh, she doesn't use it a whole lot. Uh, bo- the Bomb memory is specifically the one that Shroud uses repeatedly anytime she has to do any combat-related thing, which is minimal, unfortunately. I would have loved to have seen her use the Lost Driver, I love the idea so much that I sat down and designed Common Rider Bomb one day. But within the context of what happens in Double, as it is, I don't think it's something that could have happened. Uh, it's very possible that she intended to use the Lost Driver on her own. I mean, when she left, I don't think she had any real plan of where she was going or what she was doing. So why bring all of this memory tech with her if she didn't intend to use it herself? She already had her own memory magnum built and prepared before the events of Message to Double. Uh, it's possible she intended to use Skull herself, given that she was putting them on everything. The Skull Boiler was at least mostly completed to the point where it was usable by the time... Uh, message to double starts. And there had been no previous Dopon attacks before that. She wasn't building these for Narami. Uh, to use as he was already fighting. Uh, right. Memory drivers don't seem to have a user lock on them, as uh, a lot of other rider techs kind of contend to. Uh, like, the wizard driver can't, I assume, can't be used by anyone else. I don't think you can just pass those around. You can't just pass the O's belt around. Uh, but given that she intended to just take out Shotaro and put in Terui, uh, into double, uh, and also given the fact that the lost driver that Shotaro uses, uh, at the end of the series is the same, is Narumi's lost driver, I don't think there's a user lock on there. Uh, where even with the fact where she offered him, Narami, the driver, to use, she very much could have intended, okay, well, this fight has to do with you, so you can use it, but after that I'm taking this back and handling it myself. Um, because that was the first time we'd ever seen her offer it. And he, when he finally used the belt and became Skull, he had absolutely no say in that. It was, he would have died if she hadn't put that belt on him, and he had no say in the matter. That was entirely to save his life. Uh, so it, it's very possible she could have, after that, intended to take it back and use it herself. Uh, this is, what I'm about to go into is entirely theory. There's no canon basis for this. Uh, it's just something that I've noticed, and I know the actual, like, real-world reason is, let's sell another skull toy. 
But contextually, uh, I think it's really interesting that it takes Skull a little while from the beginning of the transformation to form fully, and we have that whole, like, Crystal Skull version of Skull. Uh, whereas with Double, it works right away. Philip just slaps it on Shotaro and they're ready to go. Um, I assumed originally it might have to do with uh, the time difference in building them, because uh, Shroud had six months to build the Lost Driver, and Museum had 12 years to build the Double Driver. Hmm. But there's also the fact a factor of what Terror did to Shroud uh, mentally and possibly physically, where it had enough of her an effect on her one way or another that it lasted from the time she left to the end of Double. There's never at any point where we don't see the effect that Terror had on her. She seems oddly stable in Message to Double, especially compared to her weird, like, hate mania in present canon. Uh, but, I mean, she's... There are no Dopon attacks at that time, and she thinks she has this foolproof plan, so, you know, confidence is there. Um, and when things start to fall apart in the fight in Message to Double, she does start getting really desperate, uh, which is more in line with how we see her in canon. Whereas she, if she intended to use the Lost Driver herself, she may have built it in such a way that there were functions to counteract what Terror had done to her while using it, and it had to adjust to that not being uh, within Narumi. Whether that theory has any weight or not, it's obvious that he didn't give the driver back afterwards, and she chose not to build another one when she very obviously could have. Because it nothing stopped her from building Excel out in the woods out of Lord knows what. <laughs> that is... Like, there, there's I'm a, sorry, there's that's a, a, that's a great point. Mystery. When, when did she build Excel, and what did she make it out of that this can turn a dude into a motorcycle without injuring him in any way? Like, there's, there's the real question. Um, but know, after everything... No, oh, no. I'm just saying that's the, the one capitulation that Double... Well, not the one. That's one of the many capitulations Double makes to bringing back some of that Ishinomori body horror. Yeah. But, like, yeah. what did what did she build that driver out of? She lived in the woods. She's very... <laughs> that's a great question. She must be. She, she totally she started that one. Yeah. But I mean, like, after everything that happens with Matsu, there was probably a lot of conversations between her and Narumi over the next 11 years that she lived in his garage about what the memory driver was, what it does, what's coming with these dopants, and there's an agreement between them about rescuing Philip, that is, she is Narumi's client, and between the two of them, that means a very specific thing that comes down to Narumi's the one that's going to do the fighting. And there, there's a, a very specific kind of code of honor that might not be the right term uh, between them about that. And again, I would have loved for her to have gotten more combat time. Or for oh, her yeah. to have used a driver, or you know, anything. I I would have gone for literally anything they would have given me, and I can't answer as to why it was written in the way that it was, or why she or the other three main female characters couldn't. 
I'm still very confused as to how the Sonazakis even had very rudimentary drivers and were still considered dopants. Um, I mean, other than the, that, those were definitely not rider suits, especially with uh, Claydol, but they use drivers, even yeah. as just a filter. So I'm not sure how, why they weren't considered riders. Uh, but double being what it is with the information we have in it, that's why Shroud isn't a rider. Yeah, well, it's, it's especially in this in double and in a lot of latter series, the line of who gets to be considered a rider is very arbitrary. Just like there's a lot of people who still don't consider tackle a rider, and that's just bananas. <laughs> and I'm just... Yeah, I... Yeah, go, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just elaborating. Just not even elaborating. Just sort of like, bah, vague feels. <laughs> All right. Uh, well... Um, I, I think you bring up some really good points about why she wasn't a writer, uh, so no. And I think we can leave Double alone for now. And the, the point of this isn't to, like, arrive at an answer no. for each of these things. It's to have a good conversation about some of these points that just popped into my head as I was thinking about the timeline thing from, uh, from Drive, yeah. so. It's just, um, with, with Double, there is some context as to why she's not. And a lot of it does come from message to Double. Which means that some of it should have been in double proper because, uh, you shouldn't have to derive large things like that entirely from a movie. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I don't know. Uh, right. Okay, so. According to Drive, you should ahead. derive massive chunks like that from things that aren't even in the movie. Yeah, well. <laughs> like DVD specials attached to a Telebigoon magazine? Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. you know. Drive is doing whatever it wants, and no one cares anymore. I just... Why wouldn't you just do, like, fun stuff? Anyway, whatever. Like, Wizard did fun, stupid stuff outside. Like, the dance uh, world that they went into, and... And anyway, never. Yeah, movies. yeah. God, <laughs> Those are fun. I need so many more net movies in my life. Okay, uh, let's see. So, let's move on to O's. <clears throat> Uh, O's gives us uh, scraps about the past king and the creation of the greed. Um, we get flashes of the alchemist and see how Ankh helped the king destroy them in the past. Uh, we even get a fuller explanation of what happened with Maki and his sister, but for some reason that treatment wasn't equally given to Eiji's past, and I don't feel like the greed's issues were ever established well enough either. Uh, Sona uh, isolated it as the greed were um, mad that they didn't have senses, um, like proper human-ish senses, um, and I want to argue with her on that I, I would, uh, being the fact. I would also, but... Um, but like, but I don't see how that really explains their um, motivation, even if it were the fact. Uh, and some of this... Well, anyway, I'll just move on. The crew of the Black Pearl doing their raids to reclaim all the gold and break the curse um, makes sense because they wanted to, re- to reclaim mortality and its benefits, chiefly sensory experience. Um, but you can't miss... Uh, what you never had, and um, like it doesn't seem to me like the greed would have had senses because they weren't really animate before their tenth metal was destroyed. Spoilers for O's, by the way. <laughs> um, and like an, an alien doesn't miss Christmas because it has never experienced it before and lacks the cultural context to yearn for it. So like, um, yeah, elaborating on what I just said, had the greed been um, made as whole creatures and then stripped of an essential element that let them uh, in 
let, that left them intact but desperately yearning for that missing thing, that would make sense and be more comparable to the human experience. Uh, but the show's handling of that aspect left me wanting. And like me, I'm just sort of like, what are you talking about? That's that is literally them. I mean, they're they're these perfect yeah. whole creatures who exist in a state of perpetual nirvana, and because they exist in that state of not needing anything, not wanting anything, they're just sort of hanging out, just existing and being happy to be themselves. And then some people come, reach into their chest and say, ah, oh, that perfect happiness, snap, never again, not for you. Bah. So, like many people who, who exist with, with holes in themselves, they just go and start being rampant consumerists or try to conquer things to fill that hole. And, I don't know, I... Like, I know that, that it's not a thing that really hit for you, but man, I friggin' love it. Yeah, I, I like that idea more or less, but like... I, 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 can, see, I can see that uh, a feeling that they didn't carry it off. Right, and like, I didn't, like, this whole thing about them being, you know, beings in Nirvana, like, I never got that. I thought they were just metals in a dish. Like, literally, I thought that's all they were. And the king was pissed, because like, hey, why aren't these things, like, coming to life? And it's like, well... They're coins that you have on a plate. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> and that... No, my literal reading no, of it is they were coins on a plate, and he expected legit. them to be alive. And then they destroyed one, and then, like, poof, they became alive. Right? Well, yeah, it's... it's um. You ever read Pluto? I, I talked about this uh, in the last episode. No, I haven't, but I've heard it's excellent. It, and Go ahead. Well, there's, there's this idea in a later part, in a context I'm not going to describe, where, <laughs> you know, you need... Um, they, they create these robots who exist in perfect balance with their, with their artificial intelligence. You need something to knock them off balance so that they'll start moving like people because people are off balance. And I think this is, I wonder if it, maybe it's, it's not a, a, a philosophical idea from over there or something. It's possible. And, and because I'm about to drop some philosophy of my okay, own. Hit it. Um, oh, I'll let you finish your point. Then. Oh no, well it's, it's just the, the, idea of people seeking wholeness because they are not whole and, and yeah basically all the stuff I just said so go on okay but, so like in my opinion a whole complete being doesn't just sit mute um, or like actionless like there is um, I, I feel the show uh, has like a refusal to commit that maybe led to me feeling this way which is like um I'm deviating from my I, notes, so I'm going to start I, over. I think I, I kind of got where you were going with that, and I don't think they just kind of, like, sat around mute. It's I think it's that the king couldn't make them do things when they were whole, because he clearly wanted to use them as tools of, you know, breaking stuff. And they were like, but why? We're good. We're just going to do our stuff, and, you know, we're, we're going to go have fun with our lives. And then he's like, oh, well, um... No. You see, uh, this is kind of like the shroud thing that we've talked about before. Like, where was her? Where's the scene where her face actually gets injured? Like, there's no. Well, the, Double um, does a really weird thing where they refuse to let us see her face even before she's injured. Right. Like to the point Which, where it's actually like cinematically detrimental. <laughs> like, if you remember back no. to the whole the whole dancing scene in Double. Yes. They were like yeah. they're waltzing. They turn. 
but they never actually turn. We're turning with them so that we don't see her face, and it's the most awkward shot in the world. <laughs> yeah, but and I get that, but like, there's never. I, I, I'm saying. I'm not saying I think that the was same a good thing idea. happens. No, no, no. I just said, but it feels like the same thing happens with both shows. Like they don't actually let, and I don't want to see a woman. Like I watched, um, like the '70s version of The Long Goodbye, Oof. and there's a terrible scene in there with a Coke bottle hitting somebody in the face. Uh, or, um, or to use a more recent example, Pan's Labyrinth with a whiskey bottle. <laughs> oh my God! I, my wife and I went and saw that, and we were both like. <laughs> Possibly in tears and like clutching each other and like, oh my god, can we sit through the rest of this movie? Um, that was so brutal. I didn't, when I saw that movie, <laughs> I didn't realize it was rated R. Oh, it's rated R? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was going, oh, this is going to be a fantasy movie. Oh, by the guy who did Hellboy. Lovely. This should be fun. And then, then that scene happens. I'm, I'm over at my friend. Oh god, why is this happening? Don't you know what movies this guy makes? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but like at least they went there and made it clear what was happening, and and that's not a good thing. But I'm saying like double in one instance and O's in another. Like I never like I don't know where you guys saw these scenes or like if you're just reading it from the text because I don't I never really got the sense that they were actually alive and doing stuff or not doing stuff, and that they wouldn't. I knew they didn't work the way the king wanted them to, but I thought it was that they like didn't. Animate. Which I think we can, like, loathe as I am to say this, because y'all know I'm a massive Kobayashi fanboy. That's a craft failure on her part if she can't make that, if she can't put that across, because y'all were doing some pretty deep focus watching. In, in her defense with O's, I think a lot of that was meant to come out late series, with mm-hmm. Ankh being the final villain. Yeah, and then when that all and changed. And that didn't happen, and I think kind of a lot of things got lost in the shuffle. Especially since Kobayashi isn't really good at ending a show. <laughs> I was gonna say she I was gonna can, say you take that not, back, but no, <laughs> she's not. Yeah, like she can. You can, she can, she can get you to an ending where it's like, okay, I am fulfilled by this show. But then you sit down and think about it, and it's just like, wait, there's a problem here. Look, look, she at least get like. You know, when it gets I mean, she'll get point, you to the end. At least you get to the refrigerator that night, and you're gonna you know, get yourself a drink, and then you're like, wait a second. Because, yeah, like, like, if they can get you that far... I yeah, know. oh no, she'll get you right up to the end. Yeah. And do an amazing job. It's just, then she kind of... She'll, like, stop, like, three feet from the finish line, and then just, like, turn left and walk away. That's uh, that's a sad description, but that's okay. <laughs> but I still love her. Um, Ayla, did you have any more um, thoughts you wanted to share on those before we move on? Uh, no, I think I'm good actually. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so Forze, I I would say doesn't suffer as much from this. Um, I can't think of any real gaps left by the fact that the story starts. Uh, like 17 years before the series. Um, the Virgo Utohoshigamo relationship works well, in my opinion. Um, it just took forever to get the horoscopes planned, and I don't, uh, think that is the fault of the narrative time gap, though it feels silly 
that it took Gamo all those years to set up the school, etc. But maybe it makes sense that he had to line up all those assets and resources to make the school under the hole um, and structure it so that it's tailored to breeding ground um, for potential horoscope zodiacs, whatever. Yeah, I think that all, some of it may have also had to do with getting to Kengo. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Makes so, sense. So uh, he... He was in it for the long con, and I think the whole uh, Emoto Udahoshi Gamo plot was set up fine, and there's not any real hole there. But there's a really weird hole that Canon leaves in Gentaro's parents. They're mm. mentioned in one episode uh, when we're all at Gentaro's grandfather's house shop thing, and everyone's visiting him for a reason that I can't totally remember. I think they were just coming to hang out. Like, no, that was, they that went... The one where she brought in the hot pot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a specific reason that they all went there, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, like, they all did go to hang out, but, like, they all decided to meet there for some reason. But Shun, lacking any tact, even slightly, like, goes over to his parents' shrine and is like, hey, what happened? And Gentaro <laughs> explains they died, I think, in a car crash? Yeah, yeah, it I think was. So. Uh, and he he goes on about this advice that his father gave him about friendship, and that's why he's kind of so driven to befriend everyone, and why it's so important to him. And we get this flashback of Gintaro's dad saying this to him, and it put this really weird emphasis on it for something that hap- is happening like midway through the series that made it seem like it was going to be this important point uh, with Gintaro that was never really touched on again. Like, like everything else was really well handled, but that's always been a sticking point for me, and I don't think it needed to be expanded upon as, like, a big part of the plot, because Gentaro, as he is, is a near-perfect narrative vehicle. It really is. Like, beyond just a character, just as something in the narrative, and I have a lot of feelings about how the writers made this choice to have him be very static, where Gentaro has no growth as a character. Uh, he's uh, already... Yeah, he's already at the end of his narrative arc, but the whole point of him is that he's causing a narrative growth arc in every single person he touches. Yes. And that's absolutely brilliant. Like, it's it's just... that's, a, that's a thing tons of people have spent so much time and effort trying to pull off. And, and these guys, they just did it and they made it easy. They made it look easy anyway. Yeah. But it's just that we're given this this piece of information that we kind of already know. Because, like, I feel like it had been brought up before that just Gintaro's parents had died. And there wasn't any any more to it than that. I think probably from Yuki, because she had known him. I think it was like after his parents died, he moved off with his grandfather. Mm, that and that's right. uh, kind of where they had been. Uh, but it's just, it gives this information weight on it where it feels like we're going to go back to it and it never does. Where it, it could draw this parallel between Gentaro and Kengo, where they both have this kind of deep impression in them left by their fathers about what they have to do with their life, who they both lost in these very early stages of their lives. And it just might have been an interesting note that was never really touched on. And I'm suddenly noticing a lot of dad stuff. You yeah, got Kenko. I was say it's drive too. It's like, well, no, I just within Forze, 
where you mm. have Kengo, Gentaro, Shun, and Jake with all of these dad problems hanging off their back. And we never see Tomoko's father, but we see her mother, so she may be being raised by a single parent. Uh, Miyu's home life is a mystery, but she has at least one parent. I'm assuming both. Um, I don't know if Ryusei has parents. I don't know where he came from. He may have, like, appeared under a rock somewhere. He's <laughs> kind of grew out of, out. He's grew out of rage. Yeah. But, I mean, like, here's, here's a weird timeline hole. Who raised Kengo? Do we know that? Udahoshi died when Kengo was a baby switch space miracle. Uh, who raised him? <laughs> he, um, he lives alone at the point at can at the point of canon. But clearly, yeah. someone had to look after him before that. And who did that? Was was I, it I, Emoto? Maybe. I, I was maybe guessing like ward of the state, and then he gets emancipated, and then somehow gets his apartment at the school. I guess. God, but I mean, like, who, when he was a baby, who, like, had him? Who, like, lived with him? Right, well, I was, like, a year old. But now I'm just like, yeah, Gabo. Surrogate dad. I'm I'm assuming it was Emoto. That would actually make more of a thing than, more of a thing that he would do. Uh, just kind of trying to make up for the whole, oops, we blew up your dad. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not sure it was an oops, but yeah. Um, maybe Imoto and Gamo lived together and they were racing baby Kengo. Aww. Aww. That sounds like a, a... That absolutely sounds like a fanfic. <laughs> and I'll write it. I'll do it. Right on. I'll read it. Make this happen. Uh, and there can be uh, antics with him trying to assimilate human culture as a baby, or as a uh, you know little baby or a little kid. Just giving him, giving tiny baby like tiny like three year old Kengo some like college physics books. Being <laughs> like here, entertain yourself. <laughs> and then he does. Yeah. To the point where it's like at seventeen, like oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up my dad's work making a physics defying belt. Yeah, love comes with what. Space bike. Space bike. I, I just giant robot. Had the plan. Like, everything else I can kind of understand. But just the space bike. That his dad just made plans for this bike. Look, look, Kengo's dad, who had a party. It's like, yeah, we're gonna ride a dirt bike on the moon. Why would well, it's that the most efficient way, right? Look, if you could get to the moon. Wouldn't you want to ride a dirt bike on it? I can't ride a bike, so... That would be <laughs> the sickest thing. Think of all the drifting you could do, right? Yeah, yeah dude. Lunar drift. Uh-huh. Uh, that, there's, that, there's another that, joke buried in there somewhere. Movie. Yeah, look, I... I but yeah, Fast and Furious 8, Furious on the Moon. <laughs> would, it, would it be 9 now? Was it 8, or no, was 7? That was 7. I, yeah, 7, was seven just I, don't, I don't know anything. Me either. I just know apparently Vin Diesel punches a lot of dudes and makes a point of telling all of his friends that he loves them. And I well, that's that's, that's what those movies are really about: friendship <laughs> and punching. It's four. It's a series of fours of movies. Great. Now I have to go watch them all. Friendship, punching. Let's do this. Uh, let's see. Um, 
I recently uh, was met with shock when I said that I uh, had seen the first Fast and Furious movie several times. And I, I responded to the person, like, why would you be surprised about that? Yeah, a good movie. They're, they're some of the most popular films on the face of... Like, there's seven of them. That means they're, statistically speaking, you're, you, you, everyone knows someone who's seen them. They're making money somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Aleph, you had points for about Forze, because you always have points about Forze. Well, look, I, I always do have a lot of points. But actually, uh, I, w- I had had some thoughts uh, about the, the expanding about Gentro's parents, but I actually think Sono covered it and, and covered a lot of the, the questions I was going to raise very well, because Sono is wicked smart. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I had to stop myself after like the like I don't know somewhere between like the sixth and tenth episode of Moonspeak because I kept just like pausing for a long time and then saying, "Uh, you're really good." Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say because you're really good. And then yeah. She knows her <laughs> business. You know your business, Sono. I Thank salute. Uh, okay, so, uh, it's wizard time. Oh, oh damn it, I messed it up. It's showtime. <clears throat> showtime da. Uh, yes, uh, showtime da. Anyway, moving on. Um, so wizard's, um, six month gap, um, like double before it and drive after it, um, doesn't seem to have any reason other than perhaps to show, um, Haruto, uh, as a competent fighter from the start. It's funny, too, because they kept flashing back to the days shortly after the Sabbat and doing important character things there for Haruto and Kayomi, um, like, later in the show, but why not do them chronologically and then call back to those things, maybe? Um, more. Uh, Nido and the Beast Driver are another area where there's a lot of fertile ground for exploration of how long Phantoms have been around, uh, how the Driver was developed, how Chimera came to be. There are so many unanswered questions that there could, um, or there are so many unanswered questions there that could have helped fill up the show's slower times. Uh, also, Section Zero, I would have preferred um, that maybe Section Zero made their own thing, their own driver, I mean, if possible, um, yes. and maybe like hired Nito or had held onto the Beast Driver from generations past and secreted itself into the Japanese government to stop the Phantom Threat. Um, there's just so many possibilities there. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on Haruto. I think for a lot of what Haruto is, we need to start with him as, like, confident and completely put together and, like, the hero that has it all figured out and knows what he's doing and then work our way back into the fact that this entire time he's been horribly and completely broken just as much as, if not more so, than every other person around him. And he kind of has to discover what being the hero actually means and what he wants to do with it since it was just kind of dropped on him uh, out of nowhere and he didn't really get to make any choices about it. If we came to Haruto at the first Sabbath when he first got overcame Dragon and was given Koyomi, we would have had to kind of watch him work through all of these issues and then be the strong person and then break back down. And um, it would make for a very, very different character portrayal. And with what they were going for with Haruto, it was very necessary to start with where they did. Um, the only reason I can see as to why there wasn't more exploration into, like, ancient phantoms and chimera was budget constraints. Uh, Dragon's whole plot line of wanting to take over Haruto 
uh, also ended up being cut, I assume, for the same reason, because they were giant CGI monsters that probably took up a lot of money in a show that was entirely CGI effects uh, taking up more money. I've always been really disappointed by that, though, because uh, I love Chimera. And I've always really been really interested in the questions that Dragon and Chimera raise. Uh, Section Zero does become its own thing, though. It's formed entirely by the mages and then run by Rinko. But the mages come into the story so late that it's impossible to make more of Section Zero uh, before any post-canon media, which yeah, is a and tragedy. And where the hell is Wizard Returns Beast edition, huh? Because no one loves me. No one at Toei loves <sighs> me and loves this movie for me, in which Phoenix breaks out of the sun, and and Kosuke has to fight him, and Kamara eats Phoenix, and therefore has all the mana he needs forever. Oh, yes. Like, look, I just wrote, I wrote the whole movie right there. Come on, Toei. Just look, do it. I'm you don't even need to pay me. Just take that and make that movie for me. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm like the one guy who's sort of ambivalent at best about Beast, but look, you bring back Phoenix, you got, you got my time and money. Cause yeah, I was, he's I was my, say, I love that guy. Yeah, that's like a license to print money because people love, uh, love Phoenix so much, and if you could solve the stupid Beast problem, then, uh. Like, literally, anyway. that movie would solve everything! Well, and then you could even have the mages in it, and then give them upgraded forms and sell those figures too. Yes, yeah. Just Look. give me a just give me a mage figure arts. Like I apparently, I just have to wait five years because they they finally got to the, to the Kiva law. So yeah. before you know, Kiva. Yeah. Well, you know, look, it's there. Let's. I don't care why. It's there. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get three, and I'm gonna repaint two of them. That works, yeah. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one as Kiva. I'm gonna do one as Dark Kiva. No one can stop me. She's Very a cool. she's a general release. This is gonna and happen. Why should? <laughs> and and I, I just as as a quick aside, like uh, to back to Wizard. Uh, like again, don't get me wrong. I would have preferred if they would have had let Mage be the secondary instead of Beast. But especially since just with the amount of of narrative real estate Beast took up. I would have liked to have had a lot more time to see Haruto fighting the fighting his his embodied depression, i.e., dragon, in in a much more direct and physical sort of way. But that's you know then they could have just not made the Chimera model and could have just had <laughs> that happen. But uh, again, that's that's I would have preferred and not what actually happened. I don't want to give up Camara just because I really love Camaras in general. <laughs> Understandable. But I, I'm Haruto versus his depression, uh, not not so much versus Dragon as a manifestation of his depression, but just versus depression in general is really present from episode one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's it's just not very upfront about it always as it is in the soccer episodes. Uh, I do agree that the mages needed to come in sooner, and I think they probably were intended to be the secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think things would have worked a lot smoother if two of them hadn't been just shoved into the last 15 or so episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's, there was not good planning with the mages, but I don't think there was good planning with Wizard in general 
Uh, which, that's, again, I blame Koyomi's agency for 100%. Well, you know, you can blame Koyomi's agency. I'm going to blame Toei because they really wanted to sell that beast uh, uh, toy. Yeah, and I'm I just mean, like, I blame them too, but... I think, I think he, you know, honestly, I feel like if, if you took out the, the Chimera uh, belt it, with the rings and everything in the way it currently exists in the show, give Beast his own show. He's a, you know, he's a cool enough design, charismatic enough actor. They could have given him his own deal. I completely agree. He, um, yeah. he kind of took over for like, there were like three or four episodes where Harto was like barely in it for some reason. And I mean, the actor was there, but like his character was very much like on the sidelines. The, the, the story I've heard is that the, the head writer of Wizard was very, was very much wanting to do his story because apparently he was one of the guys working on Hibiki before the big, uh, the shakeup there. Mm. And he just, he, he came back, he's like, alright, well then you're gonna let me do my story, right? I'm gonna do my story. Oh, by the way, hey, could you, uh, could you add in this beast guy? No, I don't want to add in the beast guy. Add in the beast guy. I don't want to add in the beast guy. Add him in. Fine. But I'm going to write my story around him. Yeah. That... And then, like, the center character of his story couldn't show up to most of the episodes. <laughs> yup. Yeah, that sucks. And, and, like, he's just, I, I like, I like, not, I don't like to imagine, but I do imagine him just sitting in the office at the writer's room. You know, the, the window slats just shading on his eyes, and he's just tapping one finger on the table just for hours. Hey, man, are you going to write another... <laughs> you want to... Can I get you some... But Kita-san, you have to, right? <laughs> flips the whole desk. <laughs> just flips it and walks out of the room. Uh, poor guy. Yeah, well, this is... This is the trouble being uh, a for-hire guy working for a major multimedia corporation. Yeah. They got, you got to serve like eight masters, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say anyone who worked on the first part of Hibiki, they only want to serve one master, which is <laughs> the art. Yeah. Oh. One thing I have read about Hibiki is that it was very inspired by Amazon. I could see that. Which I found very, very interesting. interesting. I can see parallels. There, like, there's, there's a whole book like about what happened with Hibiki. Yeah, I, yeah, I uh, keep hearing about this book. Where is it? <laughs> In Japan? I, yeah, somewhere. I, I'll look up the post where like there's a link to I think Ega Devil like explaining part of the book and like some stuff. Baller. Mm. Oh, which reminds me. I was scrolling through Iggy Devil's Tumblr and I saw some stuff that Passing Through Stranger on Tumblr had been posting from a, an art book with a bunch of like Ishinomori concept art or Ishinomori oh, yeah. inspired Ishinomori concept art. St- yeah, it's styled concept art for Kuga. Yes. And oh, there's like a couple of lady writers that are friggin' awesome. Yeah, they are. Besides like all the all the dude writers that are amazing looking too. I want to get that book. And I want to eat that book <laughs> so that it is a part of me, and and like it'll be like in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, where like you know you eat the book and it is so magic that its pages just appear on your flesh. Like that <laughs> is what I want to happen. Oh, um, speaking of Ishinomori oh, art, um, did I tell you guys about the uh, the Legend of Zelda? 
Oh, the comic no. that it's that's coming. Yeah, they collected it. I saw it. I saw it at the comic shop. Um, it's out. Yeah, I was walking in there to get Kanan. I think um, that Star Wars Kanan available from Disney and Star Wars. Um, and I saw it and I grabbed it and I hugged it and that was the correct thing to do. <laughs> like I don't even. I've played Twilight Princess and that's it. And uh, like I don't even really care about Zelda or Link. Um, like interesting, I guess. Um, but friggin', like, friggin Jet from Cyborg Zero Zero Nine shows up. I that know mess. that's so freaking awesome. So uh, it, it's in a box waiting for me to buy. I told my wife. Um, she she'd just been asked me the day before, like, "Hey, what do you want?" And I said, "I don't really want anything. I'm very content." And then I saw that and I needed it. So <laughs> yeah, yes. There we go. I found that's, it. That's so, that is that's... a legit way to think. I just I can't. It's so strange because like Tezuka has you know obviously. Ishinomori has art similar to Tezuka's, and it's just, like, so attractive. I don't know what it is about it. it it's, well, like, there's there's this... this well, Ishinomori line. was an assistant for Tezuka. Right. Yeah, well, there's this line I've, at least... Yeah, in, I thought I corrected myself. ...taste of, of comics, where there's people who are great at expressiveness and people who are great at literal representation. Yes. Ishinomori is the best at expressiveness. He, I would say he's at least very, very, very good at expressionism. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. you know, top ten at the very least. <laughs> uh, but, you're right, that is what it is. And, like, yeah, like, every every time he says, all right, well, this is going to be an awesome action scene, you you know, you see him drawing the hell out of the action scene. You're like, holy crap! <laughs> you're just staring at this two-page spread of, of like, writer one kicking this dude, except, like, you know, it's all the tiny panels and the zoom in on his face, and, like, a part of you is like, well, this makes no literal sense. And like, yeah, gives a crap. <laughs> Look at this! I, I think my favorite is tearing the wing off of uh, the bat oh! and stabbing it with it. It's just so amazing. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't worry. Not in the habit of messing around. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so sorry for the art tangent here. <laughs> But that's what the show is for. That's true. That is that is true. I I I rescind my apology then. Uh, I did find the link to uh, Ega Devil's post about the Hibiki book. I dropped it uh, in the chat for you guys. Uh, take a look at that. I'm going to reread it too a little later. That may be something to talk about uh, at a later date. Yes, very good. I'm I'm just favorited it, so I'll have to check it out later. Uh, okay, so um, I think it's time to move to Fies. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so Fies, which, full disclosure, I've only seen the first ten episodes. Um, I've, fi- I've finished Fies. Okay. Um, and Aleph has two, I think. He just doesn't want to admit it. No, I, I've seen the first ten. Okay. Let's see right there I with just, me. And then I found out that eventually the bird lady goes away. Mm. And no, she, well, she makes, it, she makes it through the whole show. Well, I mean, yeah, but... Well, most of the show. I'm glad she doesn't die. Anyway. Uh, um... Moving on. See? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I'll go with my, my half-baked uh, notions of what Fies contains from what I've seen. Um, so, like, Fies has something to do with the school, and Takumi, which is the writer, has a dark past, and I believe those two things are connected. I haven't finished the show, um, because I just got busy, like, producing shows. I think it was, like, doing Forza Wizard at the time. Um, but I've gleaned, uh, that from, uh, snippets, uh, that that's how things shook out pretty much, and there's like more lore about how the orphanarchs work, or how they were created, and I get the feeling it's held until very late in the series. Is that all right? Um, 
I don't remember the actual final explanation for, like, what happened with the school, other than that, like, the president of Smart Brain adopted, like, 20 kids for a reason, uh, some Orphanoc-related reason, um, and, like, made all of the belts in this school when it was underground or fell underground in an earthquake or something. What? <laughs> But I like I don't ever remember having even while watching it having a good grasp on what in the world was going on there, and it's not resolved until the very end. And even then, I don't totally think it makes sense. Huh. Everything with Takumi makes sense, like Takumi and Kiba and all of them, all their plots make sense. But the whole thing with like Mari and Kusaka and uh the Delta Belt and all of that nonsense never really uh, came together for me. I don't think that ever really got a, a thorough explanation in the way it should have. Would you say it's accurate to attribute some of that to, like, poorly pulling off the time jump? Or not really? I, wa- I want to make sure I'm not, like, excusing the um, show falsely of, of that. Well, no, the, I don't understand the timeline in Pi's... Okay. It, it's... T- was Takumi a rider? Before? I don't even remember how he gets the belt. But that that may just be it's been a while since I've watched Fies. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of Fies is kind of a blur to me. Cause everyone in Fies is a jerk. <laughs> Mari seems cool. Mari's okay. Um man, one the of the, la- the ladies in Fies are okay. One of the best lines from Ryder Tyson was um someone like t- t- saying to talk to me, I think the old lady at the shop said, like, well, why don't you, like, why do you order your soup so hot but you don't want to eat it, you know, because it's too hot for you? And he said, because I want it now! And, like, that's why he won't wait for it to cool down. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a whole thing with him where he can't eat hot foods. Oh, I, I learned from uh, TV Nihon. He's a Nechikota, just like me. Yes. <laughs> uh, Alright. Well, moving on from that. Um... Anyway, sorry. So, uh, Ryuki? Is it Ryuki time? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Um, Since none of us have any idea what happened in Fives. <laughs> I feel so badly for that. Uh, so yeah, Ryuki, which I also haven't seen, uh, has uh, the whole genesis of the conflict way in the past, as I understand it. Um, yes. It, yes. It's like a white wizard Koyomi sort of situation, and I just don't understand the utility of leaving something like that unexplained for so long. Although, to be fair... I don't know all the details or any of them really, and the execution is what's kind of more important in that instance. Um, so like, uh, oh, but you know, here's a, something uh, to like counter my point. Eden of the East had like a mysterious puppet master who was setting everything up, but like it isn't frustrating in how it deals with him. I think. Yeah. The the thing is, uh, with Ryuki, the puppet master isn't always there. We don't see him setting things up. We're kind of following the mystery of where Shira went with Yui as she's kind of searching what for what happened to him, and um, pretty much her entire story for the first portion of the show is where the heck did my brother go and why he was he went to college and then he vanished. And like we're there are things we can't know right away without ruining the impact of what's going on with Yui, and to a slightly lesser degree, what's going on with Ren, since they're really tied to what Shiro did, and why, and where he went. And Shiro isn't in the show 
until we know what he's like, what he did. And I don't think it really took all that long after that to discover why and kind of what his whole uh, plan in starting the Rider War was. Uh, what I'm just kind of disappointed that there weren't more episodes like the Time Vent episode where uh, it's really about that and about his relationship with Yui and that Yui, just by existing, kind of holds a lot of power over Shiro. And, and I think related, like, and first off, because I'm about to be unkind to the series, I do want to know, I am a guy who is happy, nay, eager to admit to weeping over the perfect, painful, bittersweet beauty that is the end of Ryuki. But hot dang, like, there's there's a reason that, like, Sono, you're talking about Yui, and, and she's this massive important character, but she does not form most of the... A plot for most of this show. And that, that really is the problem with Ryuki. Yeah, I mean, cause the, the actual common writer Ryuki, he's got a great plot. His, his whole thing is, hey, there's a secret otherworldly writer war going on and people are just getting killed. I want to make that not happen. But he's so ineffectual at it and they don't ever pursue it as directly as they could and it just, because he can never win, because it's oh hey, it's episode twenty. Do you think he's gonna solve? Do you think he's gonna make the Rider Wharf stop? No, there's another thirty episodes to go in this show. It really undercuts a lot of the drama. And that's I, very much. I a think Ryuki was just a little too big. Ryu, for Common Rider Ryuki doesn't have a whole lot of Common Ridering in it. No, this is the doesn't. thing I noticed while watching. Like, all of the suit fights are generally relegated to the last five minutes of the episode, and then maybe they finish that in the first two minutes of the next episode. It's very much a very, very character-driven show where they're exploring all of the riders that are in the rider war and going into these really detailed, deep stories about them, and they are really interesting. There are really interesting people in Ryuki. Oh, very true. But it's, but because of that, Yui, who is really the main character of Ryuki in the way that Koyomi was supposed to be the main character of Wizard, Yui kind of really takes a backseat to it. And there's not as much of her story throughout the whole of Ryuki as there should be. Yeah, which really undercuts the rest of the series, which is, again, it's, it's a cry and shame. I, yeah, like, I, I think, uh, I think it pulls it out in the end. But. Yeah, like, unless you're me and you really love Yui specifically and are following Yui specifically throughout the whole show, you lose a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a friend, you know, she she could not stand the show, and it's just like, all right, well, well, here's where the actual plot kicks in. You You can just not watch all this stuff over here. Which, you know, we can debate about whether or not making a short form is the way to go, but that's what happened. And she's like, at the end, it's just like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't set, sell this proper. They just didn't get it. It's like, well, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, the, the show really becomes about, like, Shinji, Kitaoka, and Asakura, and Ren yeah. just keeps hanging out. But the whole, like, Ren, Yui, and Shiro are the other story. And their story gets less attention than it should. Yeah, 
especially given how much how central it is to the actual the story. reason that everything is happening. It's a flawed work. I love it. It's massively flawed. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Kiva. <laughs> speaking of, I love it. It's massively flawed. There uh, we go. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so Kiva has its issues outside of the timeline, uh, which isn't an issue in my opinion, um, except for the fact that at some point the 1986 story should have stopped or gone past the paralleling of 2008 and let more of the aftermath of things unfold so that things could be more clear about 2008. Um, the stories would have been uh, less related, but I think it would still have been more satisfying. Uh, Kiva leaves a lot unanswered too, like how did Watcher actually get the belt? Uh, lineages are a little funny, like... Um, <laughs> Like Claire and Todd and I had to guess, and like they, I said it, and then they thought I was crazy. But then they were like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. That Megumi and Watcher really are brother and sister." Yeah, well, I mean, how else would they be anywhere near the same age? Yeah, they, I mean, he he had to have gotten them both pregnant at around the same time. So, um, yeah, that happened. <laughs> um, but it's so unclear about that, and it's like. Anyway, didn't want to say anything, and, and the whole thing with Otoya not dying until the very last episode is, like, kind of ridiculous. Um, like I said, an aftermath would have been nice. But anyway, um, another thing, like, the fake fossils on Ixa don't make sense unless the Blue Sky Party had access to either Dark Kiva or Kiva, um, like, and had time to have them and study them and be able to make it so that they could inter- intercept the... Um... But did they, though? Because they had Taiga. This is true, but Taiga wouldn't have had Dark Kiva because he didn't... He was the king, though. But Maya had Dark Kiva with her, I'm pretty sure. Well, she must have, because otherwise, where was he? (laughs) But she shouldn't have had it, because she left Taiga with, um... I forget the the man's name, but the, the head of the Blue Sky Party... Yeah, I mean, theor- theoretically, uh, Kivat 2 should have gone with Taiga, but Maya could have just been like, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> but see what I mean? And then, like, are the Kavazas species, because there are, you know, generations of them, apparently? What's the deal with the other monster clans? Because I know there's, like, supplemental information about them, but it never really appears in the show. It kind of appears in a movie, but not really. Or it's, like, really poorly done. Um... There might be more. Honestly, Kiva made me so happy that I didn't really care about most of those like unanswered questions, but it'd be nice to have the answers folded into the content of the show and not, like I said, found in uh, extra material. Yeah. the With with all the monster clans, I think they were just an excuse to tr- keep trying to do the Imogen <laughs> and were otherwise really unnecessary to the show. Look, there's, there is a lot of call and response between Kiva and Denno. Yes, there is. Favorite things about it. But, uh, I could have done without Jiro in general. No, that's... I I loved seeing him again, but he was not Zonky. No. That is not Zonky. Oh, Jiro, no. Jiro, no. Please, God. Again, I would assume Maya left the Kiva belt with Kivat when she left him with Wataru in Otoya's house. But my question about that point in the timeline is, how did Kivat raise Wataru on his own? How did he provide food 
and clothing and eventually stuff to make violins and the various other things a child needs to live that a, like a four that like an eight six or eight year old can't get for themselves. Watterer didn't know about Jiro, Riki, and Ramon until like he met them in the castle in Canon. So unless they were showing up at night and dropping this stuff off while he was asleep. Uh, un- somehow. Unbidden by the Fussels, which shouldn't work. Yeah, like, they they can't leave, right? Right. So they couldn't have done it. So it wasn't them. And it wouldn't have been Maya, because she has to go live in a cave in the woods for whatever reason. Instead of staying with one of her children in a place where no one goes, ever. Whatever, mm. Maya. Yeah. You, you go eat your chips, Maya. <laughs> Um, my problem, my real problem with the Kiva, t- I'm gonna make jokes about that photo forever. I will get a link to that so we can put it on the post for this. There's a photo, uh, an, uh, an offset photo of, uh, the 1986 Fangar King eating potato chips and Maya, like, in full cloak with a windbreaker over it, with her hood up, and she just looks annoyed. And I've just been, ever since I found that photo, I've been making jokes about the fact that the whole reason they split up is because he wouldn't share his potato chips. And that was, like, the breaking point in their relationship. And she's like, no, I'm done. This human will definitely share potato chips with me. I I don't know, that human's a Toya. I'm pretty sure he would feed her potato chips. (laughs) I I, I I think he would, too. My, Um, My problem with the Kiva timeline, though... Is that is kind of the opposite of what you described in that uh, in the beginning of the series, 2008 wasn't 1986 wasn't paralleling 2008. It was facilitating it. Things would happen in 2008, and then we'd go back to 1986 and see how these things that these things that are happening in 2008 are consequences of events in 1986, and that then 2008 uh, has to deal with those consequences. Uh, the Black Star Violin is uh, kind of the best example that I can think of. Yeah. Um, where I felt that later, 1986 and 2008 became very disconnected in that way and just started, the same things were happening in both years. And the stories were just kind of moving parallel to each other and then shoving stuff in to get to the end game, where... Um, I think Washeru and Otoya's stories became too separate for a while and weren't about each other. And then Washeru has to time travel to 1986 in the most convoluted suicide attempt in history, which was very upsetting and uncomfortable. But, like, he, he goes back in time to stop himself from being born. And I feel like a lot of the latter half stuff in Kiva could have been handled a lot better if it just hadn't been trying to do so much with Otoya and just let um, things start in 1986 and then have to deal with the consequences in 2008. Yeah, I yeah, I absolutely got a plus point you on that. But I, I chalk up a lot of that sort of stuff to Inoue being an excellent writer of characters, but not always being great at pulling things together in a really them- thematically cohesive way. I mean... For instance, uh, I, I might squeal a lot about how Agito is, is clockwork and lovely and its explorations, the various characters, and how they interact with the systems and their memories and all that important stuff. But for all I love a story that ends with 
you know, the superheroes beating the crap out of God presented in this context as the ultimate corrupt authority, because I'm a sucker for a little casual blasphemy, it was not the ending the story was working towards. And I think the same thing sort of goes for Kiva. It's, it's a wonderful soap opera filled with these wonderfully realized characters, many of whom are the absolute worst. But I, I would... Jiro? Yes, exactly. But I would argue that as a monster, he is he is disturbingly well realized. Uh, but on a plot level, like even when they try and make it the same thing, it's just two separate shows by the end, and I'm not entirely convinced they needed to be connected by the end. Uh, which is, of course, to say, like it was a really clever way to do it. I just don't pull it off, and then the ending happens, and you're just like. Right, so this isn't an ending at all. Okay, then. Um, if you want non-linear... I'm not sure if you've actually seen the show. I have no idea who's seen it. But uh, if you're looking for non-linear storytelling, I very, very heavily recommend uh, Bacano because it is a masterpiece. What is Bacano? It's set in New York and Chicago in the uh, late 20s, early 30s. Um and it's it's an urban fantasy in which uh it's very much about the mob and immortals uh it was a light novel series uh that ends up moving all the way if you've also heard of durara uh okay, that's that set I... in that's set in the same universe okay. and has some canon ties uh it, that was also a series of light novels by the same author um but bakano jumps back and forth between uh this story that's happening on a train between Chicago and New York, um, this story that's happening slightly bef- maybe a year before that in New York, another's about uh, these mobsters, another story I think that's set a year before that and spans across slowly across all three years about uh, this rich girl trying to find her brother. Uh, it's a very, very interesting story uh, that all comes together very, very tightly at the end. Uh, I would actually recommend the dub. The dub cast did a, an absolutely brilliant job with it. Uh, and again, because of the setting, because it's set uh, in New... It's basically a period piece in New York. Uh, I think the English voices lend a lot to it. Uh, just because of accents at the time and the ways people spoke that they really uh, kind of put in there. Uh, it's it's an absolute masterpiece, and I would recommend it. I think it's only 13 episodes. Uh, I checked on Hulu. It's 16 episodes, and they have both the sub and the dub there available for you to watch. Okay. For free. Well, it, it's 13 episodes, and then there's uh, three a three-episode OVA that <gasps> is in. Oh, that's so cool. Um, nice. Again, uh, I would watch it, then watch Dorara. Two of the characters in, ba- in Bacchano show up uh, in the first season of Dorara. Uh, but again, Bacano is a masterpiece, and everyone should watch it. Cool. It's absolutely brilliant. I would love to see them do a live action. Actually, I think that would be very interesting. Time to go find a fan. Time to go do a fan cast for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but back to the point. Yes, back to the subject of the show. Uh, I kind of again, as I mentioned, I want to bring up Deno because the past is the very, very core. Of Deno. And I think parts of Deno missed elaborating enough on the past, particularly on the part of Kai, the final boss 
ish yeah. in Denno. Uh, the Nogamis in the past are the very center of the story in Denno. It's about Kai. What happened is Kai went back, screwed up the past because Irie was pregnant with a junction point. Um, and then Yudo has to give up anyone knowing who he is to protect Irie and his child. Um, is it ever really explained further than that? Why doesn't he also go after Ryotaro? Because he is also a junction point? No, it is. It's, it's not? Okay. Is junction Um, point the same as the concept of the singularity in Deno or not? I'm, singularity point, junction point, I'm, I'm probably using the wrong term. I'm just looking Um, for clarity. A person person who is unaffected by changes made to the past. Gotcha. Um, I've had a really good theory presented to me that Hmm. in an, because there are alternate timelines in Deno. And that's, that's a thing. That's how uh, Hana turned into a child again. One of them comes in with the best, like, I can't even spoil the way it pops up, but there's a bit where from the moment the show opens, you know, something has changed. And it it was like, like, I was marathoning it, and it was just like, I was like, oh, wow. I'm just looking over at at my fiancé, and we're just like, something is awry here. It was just lovely. It's that episode is very much, Ryotaro is unaffected by all of those changes and realizes this isn't right, and that's because he's a singularity point. Again, I've had a really good theory presented to me that in an alternate timeline, Kai was actually Yudo and Iri's child, uh, spoilers, instead of Hana, and that some Imogen disruption caused Hana's timeline to become the dominant timeline, and that Kai's whole agenda was to use the Imogen to secure his own timeline, and I guess somehow went crazy due to that. Uh, I'm not sure if this was just a theory someone had, or if there was any canon basis to it, if someone like, could provide clarity on that. I don't even know if that if that's like a theory, as much as this is someone just saying, this is how I'm going to explain it. Because okay. like there is, like, I... You know, I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of Deno, and the way I consume things tends to involve more thematic digestion than, you know, plot mechanics. But wow, I think I would have remembered something about that, because that is the sort of thing that I think is kind of awesome. Yeah, like, I, I feel like I also would have remembered that. Yeah. Again, I was very, very into Hana and Irie. Oh. So. And, like me, I... I I have a special place in my heart for, uh, like, people abandoned by all of the, by all of time, and then getting their revenge on all of time. Yeah. That is a cool idea. Like, how, if that would have been his thing, we could talk. Like, I, I mean, would, that, I, that was kind of set up as what the Imogen were, is that yeah, the yeah. Imogen were created by destroy like, singularity points of d- completely destroyed timelines. Or I think, or maybe just people in completely destroyed timelines. Yeah, I thought they were people, and then they they just sort of have a hate on for the junction points, and they're all trying to either yeah. recreate their homes, or... Or just mess with people because they're angry. Yeah, yeah which, I mean, it, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good motivation for monsters. And at that point, I don't see why Kai was necessary. 
Um, I mean, even people who really love Geno seem to find Kai as this huge flaw to the story yeah. and are completely unable to grasp clarity on who he is, what he can do, and why he's doing it. And given that he's the main villain of the show and is so closely tied to the central cast, it's, I think, not explaining those and not explaining what ties he actually has to them beyond the fact that he wants to prevent Hana from being born for whatever reason um, is a really big timeline flaw, especially since he comes in in the last, like, 15 episodes of the show. Oh, it's not even 15, it's 10. It's not? Okay. I, I was giving them a little more grace than that. Uh, I thought it was shorter. I just wanted to uh, maybe give them a little more little more credit than than I thought they had. I'm, I'm sure someone will correct me if I am wrong. I am pretty sure it was just thought it was like Episode 38 of 48, he just pops up. Okay. And, and like, look, you're not wrong. I think, like, the only thing I can ever think of is that they just wanted to have a boss fight, because otherwise this was just going to be a show about how two dorks go from being good guys to great guys because of their monster friends. Pretty much, and I mean... Without a final it, 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 boss fight, Deno could have gone on forever, but I think yeah, they yeah. wanted Deno to go on forever, because then Goodness we got... Goodness they tried. <laughs> like, you know, they there was, they, they kept had... Sato for as long as they could. Well, look, wouldn't you? Yeah. That kid's amazing. Have you yeah. guys seen the Kenshin movies? Uh, Not I have I'm two, working on it. Yeah, I have two and three now, and I was I started two the other night, and like, um, again... I have small children, unfortunately. Oh, and yeah. I live with someone who doesn't like, like, a lot of blood or gore in anything. So, well, like, <laughs> that opening scene with Shishio, like, cutting down cops' bodies into flaming, a flaming pit was, uh, I, I, I need to find time to watch it some other time. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's legit. But and I'm then, just... what, the kid, Sojiro, right? Yeah, I, I don't actually know his name. Yes. The, the kid who play the, the kid who plays Kenshin. No, 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 the, um, the kid who, uh, is like Kenshin's rival with his, you know, faster than godlike speed. Oh, him, yeah. He's also good. Yeah, but like his, you know, his opening is, uh, you know, stabbing a guy in the back and, uh, yeah. you know, it's pretty <laughs> graphic too. So like, I, uh, yeah, I need to carve out like very special time to watch Kenshin, unfortunately. Yes, you, yeah, like, but it, when you, when you do, I'm just going to say just, the, the film will make it very easy. Just pay attention to how Kenshin moves. I love And that, that's all Sato. A yeah, lot exactly. of, a lot all, of that is Sato, like, Sato, like, choreographed a lot of that. Yeah, that's what like, I heard. So. And, like, he, he was amazing in the first one, and it makes me want to watch Deno so badly, but, like, I also need to watch the Kenshin movies and just, ah. Uh. Yeah, like, uh, uh Ryuta's backup dancers are actually, like, his dance group. Like oh, wow. he was part, he was part of like a hip hop dance group. Oh, cool! And he just he just brought them in on Deno. Well, I mean that's interesting because like not only does he have a great physicality to him, but then also his acting is like top notch yeah. too. So he's, he's guy's a whole package. He really is. He is a Renaissance man, and I hope that he is paid so very well. Because I don't know how much lo- how long a body can keep up being kind of that amazing. He's been doing it for about ten years. Better part of a, a decade anyway. Like I, I hope he's getting a nest egg. 
or that he's just immortal. Okay. Also possible. Uh, all right. Well, um, I actually have to get going. Um, do you guys want to continue the conversation, or you want to go ahead and call it uh, I think, quits? I think that's about all we've got. Yeah, I mean, that's we've we've covered pretty much everything that has these kind of big timeline stuff's going on in the back. Unless you want me to talk about Bokender. Um, if you want to, when I go, that's fine. But I, I really. <laughs> I mean, because the, the, there's a lot of background stuff in Bokender. Uh, that I can bring up as kind of a parallel uh, for Sentai. Yeah, I know, Alif, if, if you've got the time, or we can split it off and do a Sentai one, too. Although, yeah. it would have to be Bokenger-based, mostly. So. I, well, I mean, there are, there are a lot of... there. I can say that about a lot of... Sh- like, uh, Decker Ranger has a lot of past stuff going on in it. Um... That kind of comes up very slowly and doesn't affect the main plot so much, but does do a lot of building... Uh, as far as uh, character development goes, hmm. um, Maji Ranger has a lot of past stuff with the whole mystery of their father. Um, oh, I, I, Jackie I, I, Ranger has a lot of past stuff. Okay, well, then, all the stuff from the good years. You know what? I haven't seen a lot of those, and I would, don't mind being spoiled on them. So maybe I could sit in with you um, and whoever else wants to join and hear like the Sentai parallel of that. That would be cool. Yeah, uh, Ava Ranger. Although, at one, one point i got to interrupt. Um, the name Endymion was familiar to me, and I couldn't remember why. And then I was looking through my Yu-Gi-Oh cards the other day, and there is a card uh, called Endymion, like the, I don't know, like the king of sorcerers or whatever. And uh, that huh. made me happy. It's a, Apparently Endymion's like an actual mythological reference, and I'd forgotten okay. about that. It is. During we'll have, we'll have to look that up and uh, talk about that next time. Yeah, and geek out about it. <laughs> Um, it, I only saw like vague references, but I only looked it up after I bought the card because I was like, "Oh, is this a legit thing?" Because I know Yu-Gi-Oh does that sometimes. But anyway. Yeah. No, we'll definitely have to look into that and uh, talk about it next Moonspeak. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's goodbye then, right? Yeah. All right. Well, good. I had a lot of fun, so thanks, guys. Yes, always a good time. Uh, and uh, thank you, listener, for um, well, for doing your job and listening. And we hope you enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I guess look forward to a Sentai one of these at some point in the future. <laughs>